that should say amen to the blood of Jesus. Amen, amen to the blood of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to say greetings this morning. Greetings to you who are here in the building and greetings to those who are watching on the internet. And Pastor, we want to say good morning to you and thank you. We're looking forward to you returning. God bless you this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the word that you have sown in my spirit. And we believe what your word says, that it will not return void when we sow it. And we ask God that you would bless those, the hearer as well as the giver. We thank you for your word. We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to talk on the subject, should I do this or should I do that? What's your decision? Should I do this or should I do that? What's your decisions? We're going to talk about making decisions. How many of you this week has had to make some decisions? And no doubt, some of you have had to make some complicated decisions. And you've had to ask yourself, should I do this or should I do that? We've had to contemplate how to make a decision. And sometimes we wondered, okay, I got to make a decision. Who can I get advice from? And some decisions can be very difficult. And I can attest to that in my own personal life. Prior to my father's transition, my dad's transition, he had a stroke. And he started forgetting things. In fact, it got to the point that he would leave the, the range on, the cooking stove on. And when we would, he would use the phone to call someone, he would leave, because he had a house phone, he'd leave the phone off the hook. And so when we called him, we couldn't reach him, we would get alarmed. And we'd go over there to check on him, and the house was a mess. And the house was a mess because he was looking for something, but he couldn't remember what it was. So he was having some problems other than those, though. My brother, feeling guilty, he said, I don't want dad in this condition. He says, I'm going to do, what, I'm going to do this. I think the best thing for dad to do is to come and live with me so I can take care of him. However, my older sister said to him, she says, you're making the wrong decision. My sister said, what has happened to dad we have no control over. We have, you, you gotta put him in a facility, in a living facility, because they have three shifts that can watch him. She said, you are just one person, and this is gonna wear you out. She also told him, she says, this decision that you make could have a tremendous impact on your family. He listened to her and took her advice. See, Sometimes we have to be careful that we don't make decisions out of guilt. And some decisions can be made because we have fear and we're desperate. Perhaps you're thinking about moving out and you need a roommate because you can't afford the expenses. You're desperate to move out 
You're fearful about the expenses. So you run into an old friend you haven't seen in a long time. And guess what? They need a place to stay. They need a place to stay, and you need a roommate. This is the perfect solution to your dilemma, so you think. And you make the decision to have this old friend to come and live with you to be your roommate, somebody you haven't seen in a long time. A few months into the roommate situation, you begin to realize, oh my God, I got the roommate from hell. What happened? You didn't interview the person. We can make decisions out of desperation and fear, but it'll cause us to lapse in our judgment. At some point, all of us have made decisions. Some of them have been good. Some of them have been very profitable. And like me, I've made some bad decisions, have you? But I'm going to tell you this morning, one decision can change a life. One decision can change a family. One decision can change a nation. And I believe that the Lord shows us people in the scriptures as examples that we can learn from. So today, we're going to look at the life of King Saul to see how he makes decisions. The Bible says in Samuel chapter 8, that the Lord wanted to be the Israelites' king. But they said, no, we want a king so we can look like all the other nations. So God gave them King Saul. He gave them Saul. And here's what Saul looked like. Saul was a tall, handsome man, good-looking body. You would say he was candy for the eyes. He had, he had five children. He, his criteria was all that and more. He came from a military family. He was what the people looked for in a king. So God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint Saul to be king. Stay with me. And when Saul came to anoint Saul for his new position, the Bible said that God changed Saul's heart. He became a new person, a spirit-filled man. The Holy Spirit came on him in power. He began to prophesize. He was a changed man. So now you have this guy who's 30 years old. And guess what? He is a king. He has, Saul has done what everybody else is trying to do. He's made it to the top. Saul has a mentor, and his mentor is Samuel the prophet. Samuel stands in the gap for Saul. He helps Saul make decisions. He prays for Saul and helps him with his decision-making. During King Saul's reign, he did something wonderful. He got rid of all the, the mediums and the people who were necromancing and having seances. How many of you know what a seance is? He, having seances. He got rid of all of them. He says, no more of the occults will be in Israel. Then one day, Samuel the prophet dies. This is going to be a real test for Saul and his ability to make decisions. So now, I didn't tell you the text. The text is coming from 1 Samuel 28. When you get an opportunity, read that. 
So this morning, I'm going to go through it. But in your time of leisure, read through it. It says that here Samuel, Saul, is about to be faced with a, a great dilemma. The Philistine army has surrounded him. This is a huge army. Saul is trembling in his boots. He is scared. That's what one translation said, that he is so fearful and so scared that he's trembling in his boots because the army is so massive. So he decides to pray and ask God for some directions. Lord, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I go to war? Shouldn't I go to war? But there is a problem. God doesn't answer Saul. So why isn't God answering the man he chose to be the king? I'm going to tell you why. But let me ask you this. Have you ever met a person that they have everything going for them and they decide to make a decision to sabotage their life? Saul was that type of person. King Saul never planned to sabotage his life, but he just wouldn't listen. King Saul's behavior is an example for us. And many times we're in situations where God is not answering our prayers. And we feel like God doesn't hear us and that our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling of the wall. So we need to ask ourselves, why? Why isn't King Saul not getting any answers? I'm going to tell you why. King Saul isn't getting any answers because he turned his back on God. And whenever God would give him instructions, he wouldn't obey him. He would ignore God and go on with his own agenda. You know anybody like that? I'm sure you've had people who have come to you for advice. And you provide them some sound wisdom and advice. And guess what they do? They go and do their own thing. See, they didn't want your advice. They just wanted your time. And that's what King Saul did. He didn't do what God told him to do. And God is not a genie in a bottle. We don't just rub him when we need a blessing. See, the Bible says that the Lord is our shepherd. It is him who has made us. We are the sheep of his, past, of his pasture. We belong to him. Israel is facing a battle, but they have a king that does not remember the promises that God made to him and the nation when they go into war. I want you to read the scripture with me. Put it up on the board. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. This is what he says when you go into war. He says, look, this is what I want you to remember. He says, when you go up, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt will be with you. When you go into the battle, the priest will come forward and address the army. And this is what the priest will say. The priest will say, hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified, uh, terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies 
to give you victory. That was the promise that God had made to the children of Israel and to King Saul. But he didn't remember it. He didn't remember it because he didn't have a priest beside him. Why doesn't Saul have a priest beside him? Number one, he has lost Samuel, the prophet. Number two, if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 22, it talks about how Saul killed 85 priests. And he killed them because he didn't want them, he, he was mad with them because they wouldn't tell him where David was. So he killed them. So now he doesn't have anyone to stand in the gap for him to get direction. How does King Saul make decisions? Number one, he makes decisions based on fear. You see, fighting a battle and going into war is a part of the, a king's jobs description. This is what is not a new experience for King Saul. It wasn't new. He had been in this predicament before. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 13, it said that King Saul was surrounded by the Philistines' army. And he was waiting for the prophet Samuel to come and bless him to give him directions. Samuel didn't come on Saul's time schedule. So guess what Saul did? He stepped out of the role of a king and stepped in the role as a priest. And because of that, the kingdom was taken from him. Samuel came and said to him, Saul, you have done a foolish thing. You have not done what the Lord wants you to do. And because of that, the kingdom will be taken from you. King Saul never repented. He didn't learn his lesson from that. And so now we're here in 1 Samuel 28, and he's in the same predicament that he was a few chapters over. He's surrounded by the Philistine army. He can't get a word from the Lord. The scripture says he's trembling in his boots. And the reason he can't get a word from the Lord is because of the previous decisions that he's made. This king won't stop and say and ask God, why are you not talking to me? Once again, he takes matters in his own hands and makes another bad decision. He has gathered his servants around him because he can't get a word from the Lord. And he tells his servants, he says, look, go find me a medium. In other words, go find me a witch so that she can help me with my problems. And when he makes this decision because of fear, you can rest assured it's a bad decision because desperation and fear will cause us to make bad decisions. How many of you have had children who want to leave home? They say, I'm grown and I want to leave home. They've met somebody they've fallen in love with and they can talk on the phone all night because they got something in common. Oh yeah. And after a while, they want to play house. Oh yeah. They're going to move in together because we can't, we can't live without each other. They become desperate. And so they move in together and they have months of happiness. And Lord have mercy, after a while, 
they find out they're shacked up with Sam the Snake or Betsy the Beast. <laughs> when we become desperate, we'll convince ourselves to do, to sell ourselves out. When we become desperate, we become vulnerable. And we'll do some unthinkable things. When we become desperate, we'll gamble our rent money away. We'll do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. You see, Saul had removed the, the occult out of the land. He had done that. But because he was fearful and scared, guess what he does? He returns to the familiar. He decides that this is where I'm going to get my directions from. His fear directing him back toward the occult. God told him not to seek directions from, this, from the occult. He told the nation of Israel this. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It says, when you enter the land that God, your God, has given you, don't take on the abominable ways of the nations there. Don't you dare sacrifice your son or daughter in the fire. Don't practice divination, sorcery, fortune-telling, witchery, casting spells, holding seances, or channeling with the dead. People who do these things are an abomination to God. Be completely loyal to God, your God. These nations who have consorted, who, these nations you're about to run out of the, the country, consorted with sorceries and witches. But not you. God, your God, forbids it. When we don't read the Bible, we look in other places to get answers. And the world is full of information. But I want to tell you something this morning. The Bible has answers. God is not answering Saul, but he won't ask God, why are you not answering me? When God isn't answering us, do we ask God, God, why are you not answering me? Instead, he makes a decision to seek information from another source. And there are many people that are looking for other people or other things for sources. You know, there are people who start their day, and they start their day by reading the zodiac signs, reading their horoscope. What does my horoscope say for the day? And there are people that make their decisions based on superstition. If they, if they have something that happened to them, a black cat crossed the path, oh my God, I'm going to have bad luck the rest of the day. They say some words and they say, knock on wood so we won't have bad luck. Walking down the street, don't split the pole because we won't have, because so, we won't, we'll have bad luck if we split the pole. There are people who direct their lives under superstition. Don't open an umbrella in the house, it's bad luck. People sending chain letters. Send this chain letter for, to 10 people so you can have good luck. There are people who play with the tarot cards or participate in seances, and then there are people who like to have their palms read because they're looking for answers. They dabble in this, and they dabble in that. But I want to tell you this morning, ain't no power like the Holy Ghost power. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. The sign that holds the information is the sign of the cross. 
It's the blood-stained banner of Jesus. That holds the keys to heavenly information. We need Jesus. He is our source. We need to take time to pray and say, God, help me. Ask him for directions. God will answer us. And some of us think like Saul thinks, that we can have Jesus and we can have the occult. Which brings me to point number two. Saul makes his decisions on twisted and false faith. You see, Saul isn't an atheist. He hasn't denounced God, but he's chosen to include the occult in his faith. King Saul wants God's help. He, like many of us, he doesn't want God's holiness. And many times, church people don't leave the church. They just mix it, the church with the world. We want to mix the blessings with God with the luck of the world. And some of us think that we can go anywhere to get answers. If, we're, if you're having a problem in your marriage and you want to go to a married couple, don't go to somebody that's got a boo on the side because their information is corrupt. They're going to give you corrupt information because they're living a corrupt life. You can't, there are people that want to be Baptist and Buddha. It don't work. You can't practice Hinduism and be Pentecostal. It don't work. All religions don't lead to Jesus. I beg the different. They don't lead to Jesus. That is what you call twisted and false faith. And you have people who are curious. They say, I believe in God, but I think I want to call the psychic line just to see if it works. You see, when we dabble in the occult, we become deceived by demonic spirits. And putting God, putting other gods on the same level as the God in the Bible is called idolatry. We serve a jealous God. We can't be like King Saul. We must read the word because the Bible says, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the mockers, but their delight is the law of the Lord and on that law do they meditate day and night. Think about King Saul's decision. In order for King Saul to get information, he's going to the witch who's on the other side. He had to leave the side of holiness and mix, his, mix with the occult to get, what he's, to get the information. The scripture goes on to say, going to the witch, Saul put on a disguise. He put on a disguise. He and his two men, they go to the witch's cave, and he says to her, use your ritual pit to conjure up for me the one I tell you. And the witch says to him, she says, look, are you aware what Saul has done? He has removed the mediums and the magicians from the land. Are you trying to trap me and send me to my death? And he says to her, uh, don't worry. The Lord would not hold you guilty if you do this. Don't worry. But that is blasphemy 
against the character of God. Because what Saul is saying, he's telling this witch, if you do these things, nothing is going to happen to you. If you commit this sin, nothing is going to happen to you. And there are many people that believe that God will bless their sin. And this woman replied, she says to him, she says, who is it that you want me to bring up? Who do you want me to bring up? And he says to her, bring up Samuel. And she proceeds with her hocus pocus, her dibbling and her dabbling. But something happened that she didn't expect. When this woman saw Samuel, she cried out because she didn't expect to sin. She screamed because Almighty God had hijacked her seance. She saw more than what she planned. The spirit that emerged from her with his face up and his feet down, when the woman saw, she realized that the man sitting before her was Saul. And she says to him, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king says to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just tell me what you see. And the woman replied, I see a man that looks like a god coming up out of the ground. And he says to her, tell me, uh, what does he have? What is his appearance? What does he have on? And she says, an old man is coming up, and he's wrapped in a robe. Then Samuel realizes it's Saul, and he bows his face to the ground and kneels. Now let me say something here, because I don't want you to get twisted. God can speak to us any way he chooses. He can use anybody or any situation to speak to us. It doesn't matter what type of addiction you're in. It doesn't matter what you're involved in. It doesn't hinder God one iota from him being able to speak to us. He can get our attention. If we're running and going in the wrong direction, God can get our attention. He used a donkey to speak to Balaam. He used a burning bush to speak to Moses. He wrote on a wall for a king and told him, your days are numbered. God can get our attention. He can use visions and dreams to speak to us. So he is using this demonic spirit to speak to Saul. And Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me, bringing me up? And Sam, Saul replied, I'm in terrible trouble. The Philistines are fighting. They're fighting against me. And God has turned away from me. He doesn't answer me, not by prophets, not by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me, what should I do? And Samuel, this spirit, lets him have it. He says, why are you asking me now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done exactly as he prophesied. The Lord has torn the kingdom from your hand and given it to David, your neighbor. And since you didn't obey the Lord and carry out the fierce anger against the Amalekites, the Lord will hand you and Israel over to the Philistines. He says, tomorrow, both you and your sons are going to be with me. In other words, you're going to be dead. The Lord will also hand Israel over to the Philistines. The scripture says that Saul fell face down because he was shaken with fear. 
His strength was drained. He didn't, hadn't eaten. And so now he's about to get some advice. The witch comes to him and says, she sees how terrified he is. She says to him, she says, now your servant has done what you asked her to do, me to do. I took my life into my own hands. So now it's your turn to listen to me. Let me set before you some food or some breads so that you can eat and regain your strength. Saul gets up and sits on her bed. And the woman kills a cow. She cooks it. They provide some meat, some bread and meat for Saul and his men. They eat and they leave and go in the middle of the night. What happened to Saul? What happened to the king that his last meal is in the cave in the witches, at a witch's table? Saul repeatedly sinned against the Lord. God told Saul to kill the Amalekites. Saul brought back the king and some animals. The prophet said, didn't God tell you to kill them? He said, I did. He lied. So I ask, what happens to Saul as he continues in his life of rebellion? Which brings me to point number three. King Saul's decisions reaps what he has sown. The day of judgment comes for King Saul on the battlefield. And I believe that the Bible provides us with examples of people's lives so that we can learn God's attitude concerning ungodly behaviors. The scripture tells us why King Saul died. First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 through 14. It says, Saul died because he was not faithful to the Lord. He did not obey the Lord. He even went to the medium and asked for advice. He did this instead of asking the Lord for help. This is why the Lord put Saul to death and gave the kingdom to Jesse's son, David. The sad end for King Saul was that his last meal wasn't a time of fellowship. His last meal wasn't with his family around the table. His last meal wasn't with his soldiers so they could talk about how they destroyed his, their enemies. Saul's last meal was eaten with a witch in a cave. Saul lost everything God had given him. He destroyed his family. He destroyed the nation he was leading. I'm sure just like you, I know friends and families where their last meal wasn't supposed to be where it was or how it was. Last summer, I was with one of my, with my family. We was having a gathering. And I was talking to my cousin. And she said her husband of 20 plus years had left her for another woman. She said, I told him not to leave. She says, now he wants to come back because the woman don't want him. She said, cuz, I ain't mad with him anymore. She says, I have forgiven him. But she says, I've learned to live without him. You see, he destroyed his life and his family because he wouldn't stop and say, God, please help me. 
You don't make decisions for yourselves. And I know the world tells us this is such a me generation. It's all about me, 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 me. But we don't make decisions for ourselves. Our decisions impact not only our lives, but the lives of the people around us. So how do we make decisions? I'm going to give you four practical ways. And you're not going to leave here confused or twisted. Number one, you got to clean up your life. You can't be mixing your faith. You, see, if you're, you, if you're coming to the table and taking communion, you can't be studying on how to be a Buddhist. That's called confused faith. You can't drink from one table, the Lord's table, and drink from the table of the devil. We got to renew our minds with the word. Allow the Bible to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We have to repent. Get rid of our bad habits. Get rid of people in our lives that is not good for us. And don't be rebellious because we don't want people telling us what to do. The scripture says that rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Number two, you can't have a prayerless relationship with God. Decisions are birthed in prayer. We need a daily diet of the scripture. Don't allow the only time you read the Bible is when you come to church. Ask God for wisdom. And remember, number three, that we don't serve a fast food God. Give God time to speak. Give him time to answer our prayers. Because his word says, if you call on me, I'll answer you. Trust God to answer you. God did not put us on this earth for us to fail. That's not his agenda. And number four, do everything you can to walk on a clean life. See, when we get saved and we have an encounter with God, we can't continue in our ungodly behaviors. Before you became a Christian, maybe you used all sorts of foul language. But after you became a Christian, you decided, I'm going to put that language down. I'm going to change my language. I'm going to stop using ugly words. Why? Because words carry power. They make a difference in our lives. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. Maybe before you come to a Christian, like Larry was talking about last week, maybe you were a liar. And you told lies just to make yourself look good. But now that you have become a Christian and you have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have to change that behavior. we got to practice telling the truth, walking our faith out, because that's all a part of the sanctification process. Becoming a Christian is, is, is what God wants us to be, but it's work. It's godly work. And maybe your lifestyle was such that you were having unmarried sex, but after you became a Christian, you said, I'm going to put that aside. I'm not doing that anymore because that's not who God wants me to be. What I'm telling you is that sanctification is a daily process. And we have to stop and repent and practice the living the life that God wants us to live. We have an enemy that's fighting to destroy our souls, destroy our ability to make decisions. 
His name is Satan. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. When we live in rebellion toward God, we open the doors for him to hijack our lives so we can have a jacked up life. I want the praise team to come because I'm ready to bring this home and conclude it. Our life does not have to be Saul's life. What are we using to make decisions? How are we making our decisions? Are you using the zodiac signs? Are you reading your horoscope? Is that your way of making decisions? Are you using superstition? Old wise tales? Is that how you make your decisions? If so, you're, doing, you're going in the wrong direction. God can help us make decisions. And this morning, if the Holy Spirit is using Saul's story as an example to put a finger on something in our life, I'm asking you to deal with it today. The blood of Jesus is not short in washing us clean from all of our sins. God is not looking for religious people, but what he's looking for is a relationship. When Jesus went down to the grave, he took the keys from Satan and he resurrected. And his resurrection gives us power to overcome sin. He's looking for people that believe that the cross is still the way of redemption. He's looking for people that believe that Jesus can still destroy yokes, can heal, still heal sicknesses. Jesus can take a heart of despair and give it joy. He's a burden bearer. Jesus came to this earth to bring salvation and redemption. And he wants to help us make decisions. How many of you believe that this morning? Should I do this? Should I do that? Sometimes we don't know what to do, but I'm going to tell you something. God will show himself strong on those whose heart is turned toward him. He will turn himself strong, turn toward you. He's looking for you to look to him. The scripture says that look to the hills from which cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Do you believe that today? Raise your hand if you believe that today. God is not a God that can lie. His word is true. Today, if you're one of those individuals that may have to make a decision, maybe you haven't made a decision about turning your life over to Christ. Today is a day you don't have to wonder, should I do this or should I do that? Give God your heart. If you're one of those people that have lived a backsliding life and you just come to church just for the sake of coming to church because you're religious, you can change that today. You don't have to wonder, should I do this? Should I do that? Repent. Repent and ask God, God, change me. Make me the type of person that I should be, according to your word. God loves us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you stand, please?
I want to pray for you just where you are. And when I'm praying, I'm going to ask you to pray. Ask God to deal with the stuff in you. Ask God to, to do some things in you. I don't have to know about it, but God does, and he can help you. Lord, we call on you this morning because we need you. We need you, Lord, to bring transformation in those areas that we haven't submitted to you. God, we need your help. We ask, Father, that you would help us to make decisions that are pleasing to you and not because of things that we want to do. God, we ask for a fresh baptism of your spirit to wash over us, to pour over us. Give us a renewed mind. Give us a renewed heart. Help us, Holy Spirit. We're not able to help ourselves. And we do things, God, we shouldn't do. But we ask you to forgive us and help us to walk according to your way. And we pray this morning, Lord, for somebody who's in pain, somebody who's hurting emotionally. We pray for somebody, Lord, who's hurting physically. We ask God that you touch their hearts, touch their body, touch their spirit. Let them know, Lord, that you are the answer, that you haven't forgotten them, that your word says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts is turned toward him. We love you today, Father. We ask you to bless these people. Bless your word. Let it be spilled over into our lives in a new and fresh way. We give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Larry, would you come up? Decisions. Decisions. Billy Graham said he has never met a person who decided to put their trust in Jesus Christ, to repent of their sin and put their trust in him and regretted it. I have some regrets in my life. I had some decisions, as Sister Antoinette said, that if I had to do, I'd do over. But I can promise you one thing, that's not one of them. It's the greatest decision I ever made. When I felt the tug of that Holy Spirit in my heart, it said, Larry, some things aren't right. It's time to get it right. If you're here this morning and as the Holy Spirit, if he has dealt with you through the words of God's word that has been delivered through Sister Antoinette, I want you to know this altar is open. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible says when you feel the Spirit of the Lord, do not harden your heart. Those of us who are leaders in this church or just Christians in general, we, we become more passionate about this because we see what's happening in our society. I sense, honestly, and I know every generation has said this, that the days are short for the return of the Lord. He's coming back. Are you prepared to meet Him? I had to speak at a funeral yesterday for a man who had been relatively healthy. He was a little bit older in age, but no health problems. And last Sunday morning, he was literally here one minute and gone the next. And you say, well, you're trying to scare me, Larry. Well, I'm going to tell you, Paul talking to the disciples of his day said this, we fear God, so we try to persuade men. If you're here this morning and the Lord is dealing with you, don't walk out of this sanctuary. Don't let your fear, which is number one, fear of what's this going to be like, fear I'm not going to be able to live up to this. Well, you won't. You won't. 
but you will a little at the time. Or your pride. Well, my buddy's standing next to me. My girlfriend's sitting next to me. What are they going to think? Are they going to think I'm one of them Jesus freaks? My friends, when you shut your eyes for the last time, that will not be your concern. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. So I just want to pause for a minute and say this altar's open. We're not going to embarrass you. But if the Holy Spirit of heaven is dealing with you, that's who does this work. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to save anybody. I stopped that a long time ago. But I just want to wait. I want everybody to, to close your eyes and bow your head. I'm going to pause for just a moment and say to you that if the Holy Spirit of God is pulling at your heartstrings, this altar is open. And don't let your pride or your fear, and you may not even know what's happening, but there's men and women of God who know the Lord who've walked that walk. You are not the first one who's walked that walk. That will gather around you, pray with you, explain the simple gospel message to you. That we're all sinners and Christ died for you. Father, I just thank you for this message. We do have decisions to make. And I pray, Lord, that as we just pause a minute and let that word and your Holy Spirit just flow over this sanctuary. That if there's one here that feels it, I felt it, it's called conviction. It's a miserable feeling, but it's also a sweet feeling because you know the God of heaven is saying, come on, come on, lay all that stuff down. It doesn't matter what you've done. It don't matter how bad you think you've been. I've come to save sinners. And if you will acknowledge that, if you're here today and you will acknowledge that and you'll come down and just lay your pride down and your fear down, the God of heaven through Jesus our Lord stands ready to forgive you. And I thank you for your word, Lord, that your word says that those sins are cast into the sea of forgetfulness. And I am made righteous and holy before a righteous and a holy God. The altar is open. We're going to transition into our baptismal service at this time. We have a young man that wants to be baptized, Tommy Wilson. And he asked to be baptized. I thank God for that. His family's here. Some of you may or may not know his family, my spiritual family, but they're also my natural family. Tommy's a cousin. His dad is my cousin. His mom is my dad's sister. So it's going to be um, especially rewarding for me to watch him get baptized and to see what God's doing in their life. But he not want to do anything in Tommy's life that he don't want to do in yours. And so if you will allow us what we're going to do, the, the praise team will be singing momentarily, but we're going to transition out of here because we got to get ready, got to get some clothes on, we don't mind getting wet. 
and we're going to get into this baptismal pool, and we're going to baptize Tommy. And all that baptism does, folks, is an outward expression of an inward change. It's just an outward way of us saying, hey, I'm a new person in Christ. And when I go down into that water, I'm going to leave all that junk that was in that past life in that water. And when I come out of that water, it's symbolic of Jesus Christ stepping out of a grave. And he stepped out of that grave, and we're going to celebrate it soon. He said, because of that, you can have new life. You can go into the water and leave all the garbage in the water. Because I come out of the grave, you can come out of the water. And so, if you're here, and God's dealt with you in your pew, you didn't have to come forward, but if you know you surrendered your life to Christ, and you say, I, I want to be baptized, this water is ready, and we, we'll baptize you too. If you're ready to stand and make a profession of faith, we'll baptize you. Well, I, don't bring, I didn't bring any clothes. That's okay. I'm not concerned about your clothes getting wet. I'd rather see you walk out of here with wet clothes than to walk out of here with a soul that still won't convert it. So just give us a few minutes, if you don't mind. The praise team is going to sing. and uh, I just want to say that while we're transitioning, this altar is open. If you have a need, come, come forward and pray. Spend some time before the Lord. Set this, let this spiritual move of the Holy Spirit just still fester here around this altar. Brother Dan is here. Sister Carol's here. Our other praise workers will be up here. Let's just come. You come, pray, spend some time before the Lord. If you have a need... Grab one of these brothers or sisters in the Lord and say, look, I'm, I've, got, I've got a need. I've got a physical need. I've got a financial need. I've got a spiritual need. Will you pray with me? We, we do that here. We believe in that here. And so this altar is open. The praise team will, pray, uh, will start the, uh, the music. This altar is open, and we will reconvene shortly. I just want to speak the name of Jesus